worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Was there an empire in Europe that was so powerful the world gathered their might to destroy them? And then we travel to Florida to take a look at a story that forces us to ask the question, if you were brutally murdered and turned into a ghost, would you become a spirit of vengeance or simply a lovable goof? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Garbiner. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Maybe you're making a Halloween outfit. A costume, I think, is what they normally call it. It's not a uniform. Maybe you're doing that. Maybe you're not. It's one of the two, right? You're either dressing up or not. You're either currently sewing together a form-fitting Spider-Man costume, or you're just sitting there doing the dishes. But someone who always does both at the exact same time walking into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Everyone give it up for Godrilla. Woohoo! Yeah, come on in. Godrilla into Dead Rabbit Command. Long-time supporter of the show, Godrilla. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, I totally understand. I really do. Just help spread the word about the show. That really... Really, really helps out a lot. Now, Godrilla, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Let's drive all the way out to Great Britain. As you're driving on out to jolly old England, go ahead and hit that time travel button right there. We're going back to the turn of the century, the early 1900s. And now we're just driving down the street. There's like cobblestones and stuff like that. There's like old timey people tipping hats. Jack the Ripper's hiding in the darkness. We don't warn anybody though. We see him. We're like, oh, more true crime for us. This is early 1900s, late 1800s, really, in Britain. And we see a little bookstore. We see a little bookstore on a corner. And I was like, okay, that's where we're supposed to be. Dude, stop the car. And we jump out. We run in, and I'm like, look at all these fantastic books. There's, like, Wuthering Heights. It's, like, first edition, right? That just came out. And the Great Gatsby, the Great Gatsby's standing over there. He's not even a fictional character. What? Who would have thought? He's doing a little dance in the corner. We're in this bookstore, but we're looking for one book specifically. This book is entitled Heartman the Anarchist. Or the Doom of the Great City. That's the full title of this book. And I gotta give a shout out to Patreon supporter Saint Strand. He's the guy who sent me this story. Super interesting one. Let's take a look at this. We find a copy of Hartman the Anarchist. And what this book is, it's a piece of literature that is part of a genre that's been lost for almost a hundred years at this point. This book just recently got republished, Hartman the Anarchist. Here's an interesting thing. We have a few pieces of media that show that this genre once existed, but most of it's just like entries into a film catalog. Like the film itself is missing. 
but we know the film was made the same thing with his book. For 100 years, this book wasn't published at all. You could find proof of it in, like, some old man's library. You'd see a little, you'd see a little slot, an empty slot, and be like, this is where Hartman went. You'd see it in catalog collections and stuff like that, but physical copies, we couldn't find them. This genre was basically this. You had the peaceful people of Britain living in this post-industrial revolution. Everything's going great. Chimney sweeps are dancing. Ladies are wearing those big, long dresses. And then all of a sudden, the sky is darkened as these massive airships appear overhead. And they begin to rain down firebombs on the cities of the West. Run, Betty, run! You go into the like the fire department. It's on fire. They dropped the bomb there first. They're like, oh no! You're running down the street. You have like an old timey fire brigade. Then it turns into a Charlie Chaplin movie. He's running around, spilling water everywhere. He's on fire. He's burning alive. It was all of these stories. Hartman the Anarchist was not about so much an invader from the east, but this one was about this dude who wanted to become an anarchist. He aspired, well, I guess you can be an anarchist on your own, but he aspired to make everybody an anarchist. And he figured that the way to do it was to drop firebombs everywhere. It was published in 1893 by an author known as Edward Douglas Fawcett, and there's this giant airship known as the Attila, which actually does successfully destroy London in this firebombing raid. And Hartman says... Listen, my goal is to create anarchy, to have this new anarchist form of society. But I also know that there needs to be a power base. I know the only thing for anarchy to work is a very rigid government above it. So his plan, and this is a successful plan, is to firebomb London to turn the nation into this anarchist society. But if anyone ever gets out of line, if anyone's not anarchist enough... The Attila, the giant airship, will continue flying around looking for people not being anarchist. You see a guy, he goes, rule number one of my new business, he gets firebombed. So in this story, it's kind of a, I mean, basically the villain realizes that the society I want can't function unless there's another, (laughs) unless there's an organized government over it to force anarchy among the people. So we have that book, Hartman the Anarchist. And then there's and the other piece of media we could find. There's a silent film called The Aerial Anarchist. It's the same kind of thing. It's this idea that big blimps. I don't know. How do a bunch of anarchists build a blimp? <laughs> I think about it. How would a bunch of anarchists build a blimp in the first place? Because they're like, I want to do the balloon part. They're like, no, you load the firebombs. And you're like, uh-uh-uh. That doesn't sound very anarchistic to me. I get to do what everyone just wants to do, firebomb duty, and they don't have a blimp. They're just all sitting on the ground. They're like, uh, we should probably rethink this. I don't know how a bunch of anarchists could construct anything, but apparently apparently they're able to build the greatest fleet of blimps possible. They fly over London. They're throwing down firebombs. The movie The Aerial Anarchist is gone. We can't find any copy of it remaining. It was a silent film made by a director known as Walter R. Booth. Very interesting. He was a stage magician who moved into film, so he started using all of these tricks. He's floating around the set. He's all, do my bidding. And they're like, ah. He did. He saw him, the assistant director, in half. 
he learned you know all these visual tricks he was able to translate them to film so we see reviews of movies like this and they're like yeah it looked pretty good it looked pretty good as far as there's a rabbit they're pulling out firebombs and then they pull out a rabbit and throw it down accidentally Anyways, there's no surviving footage of that movie, but it's kind of the same thing. This one, the anarchists are just up here overhead, and it's fairly short, because I actually found the sequel, which was called Aerial Torpedo. It's the same thing. It's a bunch of dudes in blimps throwing down firebombs, and then a guy builds a torpedo, and it flies around and blows up one of the ships, and they're like, yay! It was also There was also a weird subplot to that one, where it starts off with this guy this inventor of the aerial torpedo. He's in love with this girl. They go to the girl's house. The dad's like, uh-uh-uh, you can't date my daughter. And then he's all forlorn, the young inventor. And then these anarchists show up, and he's like trying to finish his aerial torpedo as fast as possible. He was building He was building the torpedo before the anarchists showed up, by the way. It was like 90% done. The anarchists are bombing all of London. They just happen to blow up his girlfriend's dad's house. He runs, he pulls his girlfriend out of the wreckage, he goes back in, he pulls the dad out of the wreckage, he's dead. So then him and the girl run back to the lab, he finishes the torpedo, it blows up one of the ships, they win, and he gets the girl. I go, well, that's pretty convenient, that's pretty convenient. It's a, might, maybe a little too convenient. Maybe he knew that the aerial anarchists were going to bomb the girlfriend's house. Anyways, we have this genre we have this genre, and there's more than just these two things. Now, it was interesting because those are all real examples of this genre, and it's basically invasion. It's a subgenre of invasion literature where they're using these airships to come out and destroy the West. Saint Strand had a theory that what could be happening here is these are linked to the Grand Tataria theory. Grand Tataria, we did a whole episode on them way back in the day. Way back in the day. It's all connected to this idea of the mud flood. And in short, there's a conspiracy theory that there was an advanced civilization in Eurasia. A group of people called the Tatarian Empire. And it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. And we can find very, very brief references to this group of people like to as of today there are a group of people known as the tatars they're still there they're generally a group there's about seven million of them they're sunni muslim majority sunni muslim they're in the area of what we would consider now mostly like mongolia it's that part of the continent we have references in newspapers in the late 1800s of Tatarians having a standing military, having a dress form. There was a newspaper article saying, like, we're going to be greeted by people from the United States government and the Russian government and the Tatarian government. And you're like, wait, what? It was such... But see, we say, wait, what? Because back then, everyone knew who these people were. But today, who? what are they referencing? There is nothing. Now, you can even look at maps of old maps, and they'll have the area of Tatari. And these people back in the day were actually so feared that they, when I say they, I mean the Western media, the Western governments added an extra R to the name of their society. It's Tatari. But another R was added to Tartari or Tartar. 
And the reason why is because it made you think of Tartarus, the place of hell, the place of the dead in Greek mythology. So they were actually trying to make them seem like this godless horde out east of Russia. What's interesting is we don't know if the name Tataria or the Tatarian Empire fell out of vogue because they were wiped off the map. Like, literally, like they're even though they're here today, right? Like, like I said, there's 7 million of them. They're Sunni Muslim. We don't know if there actually was a standing empire with fortifications and cities and an army of 100,000 people, and they were just obliterated. And then history covered them up. Like, the people who write in history completely left them out. That's the main theory about the Tatarian Empire. That it was a standing force, a standing military form of government, cities and everything like that. It wasn't just kind of a spread out ethnic group. That it actually was a standing nation like Russia or China or Japan. The idea was is that it used to be there and the governments of the world, specifically Russia, right? The other governments were complicit in this, but Russia wiped them off the map. And in the episode I did about Tataria, I said that's definitely possible. That's definitely possible when we look at this stuff. And there have been nations wiped off the map before. So we know that's happened in the past. So that part of the conspiracy theory is interesting and it's possibly true. One of them is it could be when you're seeing these references of the Tatarian uniform and stuff like that, that they are talking about a particular ethnic group that is contained in this area. But it does seem to be a little bit more than that. Because it's very hard to find references for this. There are actually more references to it now because so many people are looking into the conspiracy theory. We can find old maps that show Tatari. What's interesting, though, is the conspiracy theory, like conspiracy theories often do, tend to go one step further. And basically the idea that, no, no, this wasn't just a normal group of people, a normal nation like Portugal or the United States or France or something like that. This was a high-tech society. This was a group that had Atlantean-level tech. And they got wiped off because the world didn't want to have such a super advanced group right next to them. It's super weird. That conspiracy theory is... When you look up Tatarian stuff now, you mostly find stuff with that conspiracy theory. Like, they got wiped out because they had laser guns and spaceships and stuff like that. And it's such a weird escalation. There's... To me, that almost sounds like you're trying to discredit the idea that these people used to be here and they used to be fairly powerful, but a normal nation that Russia wiped down. It almost feel, I, I, I'll say, I'll put all my chips on the table. I don't think they had laser guns and I don't think they had spaceships. I don't think they had anything like that. I think if this country did exist and it was a, had a working government, they were probably wiped out and conquered. And yeah, they were written out of the history books. Russia did not want to have any record this was their motherland. There was no other nation. There was no other great nation right next to them. They own everything from Moscow all the way to Siberia, and there was no nation greater than them or even equal to them at any point in time. I think it's possible that there was a nation that was bordering Russia that was a threat, not necessarily. It could have been military, right? could have also just been um, ethnically or religious competition that Russia took out. I don't understand why all of a sudden they have laser guns and spaceships because the question then is, how did they lose? Right? I mean, if, if, if you had a nation in the late 1800s that had access to technology that we don't have today, 
How did they lose all of this stuff? How did they lose this war and get wiped off the history book? Their holographic history books would be floating above us and they'd be projecting the truth down on us. Like they had supposedly that level of technology. I love this conspiracy theory because I think part of it is true that there was this great nation out there, but I don't think they were technologically advanced. What's interesting about this lost media angle is it is possible that this idea of anarchists flying in blimps over the city, it may have it may have just been a normal fear of the other, right? It could just be a normal fear of the others out in the wilderness or the others in your own society trying to destroy it. It could have just been that, and it's that invasion media. St. Strand's theory, and I do like this theory, is that it wasn't just this faceless horde. These movies, this media, even though it doesn't specifically say Tataria, is that's what it means. That's what it means. There's a group of people somewhere in Europe that are trying to destroy our society. And when I say that I don't think Tataria had laser guns and like jetpacks, they might have had a fleet of blimps. That might have been a known thing back then. So that's an interesting thing, and that, that would explain why that media just disappeared. It could be because it fell out of vogue, right? At a certain point, there was a real-world war happening. So it could have just been that it had fallen out of vogue, or it could have been a casualty of this Tatarian cover-up. It could have been a casualty of that when they're like, we need to erase all evidence that this nation ever existed. And they've done a very, very good job. Like, again, if you talk about this, people are going to be like, what are you talking about? Like, it is so obscure. It's such an obscure topic that they've done a pretty good job of covering it up. And they may have also covered up any sort of media that references it directly or indirectly. And that could be why a lot of this stuff has fallen off, right? It's just disappeared. This is the media we know about. Because we can have catalog records of it. We know that it was once in this collection. It was once exhibited at this theater. Think about all the other literature that could have been written about Tataria that's gone. Just destroyed, right? It's so easy to cover up information. And I I do... My new conspiracy theory... Thank you, St. Strand, for sending this over. My new conspiracy theory is that the idea that the Grand Tatarian Empire was this Atlantean-level tech society, I think that's disinformation. I think that's 100% to make people who look into this look like lunatics. Because that's just not true. I, I don't believe that's true. We They wouldn't have lost the war... Society would be totally different. The Russians would have then entered World War I with jetpacks and laser guns and things like that. I think that that is disinformation. If you look for this, you'll find so much of that stuff. And if you're just like casually interested and you go, that's not true. So none of it's true. And then you just quit looking into it. I do believe that there was an empire probably out there that got wiped out. And if you can make the... Conspiracy theory sound absolutely insane. People will just take it as a joke. Same thing with alien and alien abductions. The amount of people who have actually been anal probed, when I look at all the reports, it is so rare. It is so rare. But that's the joke. That's the joke, right? Oh, did you get anal probed? Oh, I'm going up to get probed. Uh, you know, don't get probed. Don't let them stick stuff up your butt. I'm guilty. I make those jokes. I make those jokes too. They're funny, right? They're funny. But that joke is straight out of a CIA handbook. All that stuff. 
100%. It's to make people who actually encounter aliens, they don't want to say anything. They know it's a big joke. Whether or not they got anal probes, and they probably didn't. And again, it's super exceedingly rare in the catalog of UFO events. But that's the first thing people think of. These things are made to discount actual alien stories. Just like I think the high-tech nature of the Grand Tatarian Empire is made to discount the entire theory. Fascinating stuff. Lost media dovetailing into the world of conspiracy theory. You know what's interesting, I feel, is we're approaching episode 1000. I almost feel like we're doing some of our greatest hits again. I didn't plan it that way, but I've noticed over the past couple weeks, I go, oh, this is kind of a follow-up to an episode 100 I did. This is kind of a follow-up. So that's kind of cool. I didn't plan it that way. It just seems to be happening. Godrilla, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world-famous carbon copter. We are leaving behind Brits in flames. Ah, we'll let Charlie Chaplin deal with it. We're leaving behind jolly old England. We're headed all the way out to Naples, Florida. Okay, everyone, you know, watching cities get burned really works up an appetite, doesn't it? And you're like, no, you're still throwing up for watching Charlie Chaplin burn alive. I was like, classic Charlie. It's time to eat. Let's go ahead and we're going to stop at this Cracker Barrel restaurant here in Naples, Florida. I've never been to Cracker Barrel. Apparently, it's a down-home country restaurant, so they serve, like, southern food, like chicken and, I don't know, green stuff. But they also have, it's so weird, it's a restaurant. (laughs) This is the worst combination. It's a restaurant and a store. I don't know if they sell, like, old-timey rocking chairs and, like, little little tiny scarecrows, like, toys and stuff like that. But, I mean, that would be the worst place to shop. Imagine you're like, oh, I only have a couple bucks. I gotta buy a can of beans, maybe a Diet Pepsi, and then you walk in and you smell all this delicious food. You smell the chicken and the green stuff cooking, you're like, oh, my stomach would be hurting so bad, I'd want to eat that other stuff. I don't know if it's a grocery store in a restaurant. It might just be like a knickknack store in a restaurant. Which then you walk in, you're like, oh, I, I shouldn't spend all my money on all of these tiny scarecrows. I really should eat something today. So you walk into the Cracker Barrel and you sit down and you're like, one plate of chicken, please. And that's what we're doing. We're sitting there getting ready to fill our bellies. And then all of a sudden, the manager of the Cracker Barrel comes out and goes, well, guys, we don't have enough employees to work today. You, 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 you're employed. You're working here now. And we're like, what, us? And he's like, yeah, come on. So we run into the kitchen, and he puts the uniforms on us, and he's like, okay, you, Jason, you prepare the chicken. You go roll the chicken in the flour and stuff like that. And you, he's pointing directly at you now, you go into the walk-in freezer and grab some frozen mushrooms. And you're like, what? I didn't know they froze mushrooms. You see the walk-in freezer back there, and you walk back there, and you open the door, and you walk in, and you're like, all this frozen food, and you're like, oh, that's kind of cold in here. Whoa. And then it gets even colder. You're like, oh, that was weird. Like, I know it's cold in a walk-in freezer, but the temperature dropped even more. The lights in the walk-in freezer start to short out. <laughs> you're like, Jason, are you really trying to make a walk-in freezer scary? 
This is a haunted walk-in freezer at the Cracker Barrel in Naples, Florida. If you're in the area, it's on County Road 951 near Interstate 75. This building still exists. If you're hungry right now, hungry for ghosts, you can go down there and order a plate of chicken and green stuff. This is one of those really interesting ghost stories where we do have the walk-in freezer that has the flickering lights. <laughs> one of the things that is noticed is cold spots, colder than normal. <laughs> you can stop rolling your eyes now. You can stop rolling your eyes now. It is a cold... It's a walk-in freezer where there are certain parts that gets colder than normal. The light does short out from time to time. People have also reported... In the walk-in closet, as well as other places in the restaurant, they'll see movement out of the corner of their eyes. Spooky stuff, right? But this is one of those ghost stories that we know for a fact, this is something we run to all the time on this show, we know for a fact the crime that caused the ghosts actually happened. There are so many ghost stories where we just have someone who's brutally murdered in this house we don't know if that's true, but now there's a ghost of a guy floating around and his intestines are hanging out. We don't know if the story behind the ghost is actually true. This is one of those very rare ones we do know, and that makes the story even more interesting because now I have a ton of questions about this type of paranormal activity. You see movement out of the corners of your eyes. You walk into the walk-in freezer, and some parts are colder than normal. The light shorts out. People have also said that that's in the kitchen area in the front of the store, right? In the front of the serving area. Morning crews will come in, and stuff will be rearranged in the middle of the night. And it's always explained as, oh, it's just a joke. Oh, that's just good old Vicky, Jason, and Dorothy joking around with us. Moving the stuff around. Flipping the displays over. Those cans aren't supposed to go there. They're supposed to go there. Oh, you guys. You crazy ghosts. But let's take a look at what caused these possible haunting, right? This is... You can find tons of resources on this location. There's news articles around Halloween. They go out to this. They'll send out psychics to this area. This place gets reported on a lot. Let's take a look at why. November 15th, 1995. The morning crew shows up to get everything cooking. It's another day at Cracker Barrel. And they got to get there before the customers get really, really hungry. But they can't get in. The morning crew can't get into the restaurant. There's supposed to be a previous crew that showed up around 4, 4.30 in the morning. And they start prepping everything. And then you have the bigger morning crew. That's like the starting crew in the beginning. It's only three people. Vicki Smith, Jason Wiggins, and Dorothy Siddle. But now that the full morning crew has showed up and they can't get in, they start to get a little apprehensive. They realize that this is not normal. They generally, at least one of these people should be in here. All three of them should be in there, really, but this has never happened before. So after a bit of time passes, they contact the police. They go, hey, we're afraid something might be wrong in our store. We can't get in. Police show up. They enter the restaurant. I don't know how they did that. I wonder if they got a landlord's key or kicked a window in, but anyways... The police do go into the Cracker Barrel, and they begin to see bloody footprints leading out of the kitchen. So the police follow the bloody footprints. They see them leading out of the walk-in freezer. And when the police open the walk-in freezer, they see Vicki Smith 
27 years old, Jason Wiggins, 18 years old, and Dorothy Siddle, 38 years old. Their hands have been bound behind their back, and their throats have all been slit. It actually didn't take long for the police to crack this case. That's a 100% true crime story. You can find a lot of information about it just from the reports of that night. And it didn't take them long to catch the people who had did this. One of them was a former grill cook named Brandy Jennings. He's currently on death row. And then his juvenile accomplice, Charles Graves, is currently serving life in prison. They The robbery was the motive. I guess they had tried robbing this place two times previous, but it didn't work out. And then this night they were able to get $6,000. That's all the money that they got. And they had to murder three people to do it. It's interesting. I saw a couple people, because again, this story is posted all over the place, not just in news articles, but also in the world of the paranormal. I saw a couple people refer to the fact that Charles Graves at one point escaped from prison and he was caught again. I wasn't able to verify that. I actually tried looking for that. I'm not saying it didn't happen, but I couldn't prove that it did. I couldn't find an article specifically that said that Brandy Jennings is still on death row just in 2018. He tried to appeal his death sentence, and it was denied. So this is a verifiable true crime story, which gives us some interesting insight into the ghostly activity itself. But this is what's so interesting to me. Obviously, it's a tragedy, right? These three people died for a total of $6,000. It wouldn't have mattered if it was $60,000, but it always does seem more tragic, right, when it's just for such a small amount of money. They died brutally, tied up, throat slit, left in a walk-in freezer to bleed out on the floor. And their ghosts pull pranks? And pretty benign ones at that as well, right? Rearranging the shelf? Making the light flicker? Why I find that so odd. It, It doesn't... It doesn't connect for me, right? It doesn't really make sense to me. If I got my throat slit in a brutal robbery, I'd be knocking something out. I'd, I'd be the worst ghost employee ever. I'm, all, I'm not going to say I'm going to knock hot grease onto my coworkers or anything like that, but these ghosts seem fairly lighthearted. There's such a weird disconnect between this brutal, brutal killings and the way they're interacting around the store. I just find that so weird. And this is another interesting ghost story, too, because the more I looked into it, I started to find people lying about it or talking about lying about it. This is a very, very famous haunting in the area. Hauntedplaces.org is a place where you can review haunted places and you can leave your own little comments about it when you visit it. I love this place. On the hauntedplaces.org site, someone left a review. It was obviously a joke where they said that a painting, a picture in... The Cracker Barrel winked at her boyfriend, and then they went on to say, and then I went to the gift shop, and Miss Periwinkle, she was the perfect cashier, and when I went to say thanks, she faded away. She'd been gone for 40 years. It's not true. It was a joke. There was a news article that said, sometimes the pictures wink at you. So that's 100% not true. That came out of a joke. There was someone else who actually was talking about this on hauntedplaces.org, an ex-employee named Megan Betchel. She said, listen, I worked there in 2006. I was told this story about this brutal slaying. And then later I was sent into the walk-in freezer to grab something, and the lights went out. 
and totally freaked me out. And I came running out and everyone was outside laughing. They had shut the lights off on purpose. So you have to wonder, like, how much of this is... We know the true crime is real. But just in the short amount of research I did on this place, we have two accounts of fake stories filtering in to the real world, to the lore of this place. So it's so weird that such violently deceased people would play such harmful tricks. Now, I I think if there was just one, right, you could say, well, this little girl, she died of tuberculosis, and now she likes to ride her tricycle around the house. Okay, yeah, sure, honey, do what you do. But if there are a bunch of kids died of tuberculosis, is what I'm saying, I don't think it would be such playfulness. You see what I mean? Like, maybe all three of these people were practical jokers. If there was just one and they go, yeah, Jason, he always loved pulling a prank. So it makes sense that after he was brutally shot in the face 19 times at this Cracker Barrel, his ghost is pulling pranks. But three people dying in one night, I it just seems so minimalistic. This haunting seems so basic. I actually didn't think it was real because of the minor events of the ghost. That's nothing. Moving stuff around is actually really hard for a ghost. I shouldn't say it's nothing, but... You know what I mean? It's so benign. And let's take a look at what's happening next door to the Cracker Barrel. This is super interesting. Back in 2000, there was a motel built right next to the Cracker Barrel called the Jameson Inn. It's still there, but now it's a quality inn hotel. It's built right next door. This place is super haunted and it's super disturbing. On the one hand, you have room 114. Where people say they wake up in the middle of the night and there's a man standing in the bedroom. There's a man standing in the darkness watching you sleep. It's terrifying enough, right? Let's go to room 208. Multiple people have experienced this. You wake up in the middle of the night, you're in room 208, and you see a headless woman standing in the darkness. But not just like she forgot to materialize her head that day. People, when they describe this headless woman, they go, oh, no, 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 she's been freshly decapitated. Her white nightgown is stained with blood. The blood is still dripping from the stump. And they've also said you can see veins poking up out of this very fresh head wound. It's not like you just see like a clean cut. It's gory. It's a bloody stump that's continuing to bleed even in the afterlife. That's terrifying. Because not only is it creepy, you wake up in the middle of the night, you're seeing this headless woman. But when you see a ghost with such a grievous wound still in the afterlife, it does make you think, well, I hope I don't blow up. I hope I don't get split in two, right? So now there's two, like my legs are a ghost, and then my torso's a ghost, and I'm floating around. Like it really makes you, I think ghosts like that make you more terrified of how you die. Right? In like a certain way, isn't that creepier? Because you want to die in a way that your body's all in one piece. You're currently falling into a meat grinder right now. You're like, oh, nuts. Terrifying. Now, I'm not saying I want a bunch of Cracker Barrel workers walking around with blood shooting out of their necks, terrifying the employees. I just don't understand why the activity is so different. And those those aren't the only two ghosts at the Quality Inn. 
They said that these were the reports that they were getting repeatedly, but they're like, there's a ton of ghosts at this hotel. So again, it's an interesting question. Why is the hotel right next to it so haunted? And the place where the brutal slayings took place are, I mean, haunted's haunted, right? But they're barely haunted. I wouldn't have told this story. I would have not told the story of the Cracker Barrel unless I was able to verify the crime. I actually found the story originally on the Shadowlands.net and it briefly mentioned the crime. And I go, oh, if I can find that crime, I'll talk about it. I would not have talked about this Cracker Barrel story had it just been such a small amount of ghostly activity. That's pretty common. I mean, hauntings are rare. But in the world of hauntings, stuff moving out of the corner of your eye, lights flicking, cold spots, super common, right? Dime a dozen. Stuff moving around that's a little more rare. The reason why I wanted to talk about it was because what caused these ghosts is so insane. It's such a violent crime. And it's such a simple haunting. It's I don't know how to connect those two things. And then right next door, we have a woman with no head, blood squirting out of her open wound all over her dress. It's terrifying. I'm wondering if there's something in the area that's causing all of these ghosts to be here. Because before the year 2000, there was no hotel there. It was built as this Jameson Inn, apparently. That's what I read in the reports. So... What in the world is going on? What the world is going on in Naples, Florida? You'd be surprised how many ghost stories there are in this area. I don't know what's causing it. Brutal murder. Triple murder. Left to gurgle on your own blood in the back of a walk-in freezer. Pretty benign ghosts. And then you go 50 feet to the left, or to the right, I don't know exactly what side it's on, but... And then you have a bloody stump woman squirting blood all over you and you don't even know her name don't, we don't even know where that ghost came from absolutely terrifying absolutely bizarre it's one of the reasons why I love looking into this stuff because at the end of the day no matter how long you look into this stuff I've been researching this stuff since I was 12 I've been looking into this stuff for 34 years at this point I swear once a week I'm like I've never seen anything like this this is the weirdest thing and this one it's not the ghost that's weird it's not the crime that's weird it's that why are they just so playful? I would hope I would hope if I was a ghost, I'd be a playful ghost. But I also hope when I die, I'm not brutally slaughtered. Absolutely fascinating. And again, we have because the ghost is the ghost activity is so benign, we do have to ask ourselves, is it fake? Was it employees pulling tricks on other employees and then it spiraled out and became this quote unquote legitimate ghost story? That very well may be. But even if that's true, that doesn't even start to explain the terror that awaits you if you stay at the hotel next to the Cracker Barrel. Why is this area so infused with energy? Who knows? But fascinating stories nonetheless. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one.